0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Venture Stories podcast. I'm Anne Dwayne. And with us today is our brand new partner at Village Global, Pratik Alsi. And Pratik goes way back with today's guest. So Pratik will make today's introduction.
1: So Anne, thanks so much. And great to be at Village. It's sort of my pleasure today to welcome guests to our podcast. month is managing partner at General Catalyst. Someone I know very well. I worked with him very closely um, in the early days of the office there in San Francisco in Palo Alto, but he started the Palo Alto office in 2011. And, you know, he's one of the best investors I would say out there. Um, Companies like Stripe, Snapchat, Gusto, Livongo, Samsara, Anderle, Applied Intuition. I can keep going, but know them very well. Uh, He's also a graduate of MIT with five degrees. So lots of amazing things on his credential list. But I think today we're here to talk about his new book.
0: Perfect. Amont your new book is Intended Consequences, How to Build Market-Leading Companies with Responsible Innovation. Can you unpack for us what is responsible innovation?
2: First of all, thanks for having me, Anne, and uh, congrats, Fatigue. I think we're gonna be uh, working together in a different uh, format now, so looking forward to it. Responsible innovation for us at a very fundamental level is really mindset and mechanisms uh, with which we should be building uh, companies today. And and it's it's based on the simple observation that you know tech has gone from at least when I got in the business twenty years ago you know an efficiency enabler for uh, us as human beings as employees of companies or as consumers to really redefining all core pillars of society you know we've gone from uh, building software for doctors and teachers and supply chain managers and white collar workers and blue collar workers to uh, you know building banks and schools and hospitals and insurance companies and defense companies. And that's a lot of responsibility. And I think the whole point is to put that responsibility in spotlight for us as all the stakeholders and think about building companies that are fundamentally in the interest of society. And I don't want to come across as an impact investor when I say that. I'm you know, a, a capitalist at heart. I just deeply believe that unless you build with that intentionality, uh, you're not going to build companies that uh, can compound for a long time, which is the hallmark of the best investments. So, you know, I think it's a, to me, it's a, it's a mindset that we as the technology diaspora, all of us, need to embrace, and that's what we talk about in the book.
0: Great, and you specifically dig in on two pillars of that mindset. Can you talk a little bit about durability?
2: As I was saying, look, our, our mission at GC, in particular, this. we didn't have proper mission, vision, and values when he was there. But, you know, as we decided over the last three, four years that we ourselves want to be an enduring organization, what's the first thing you do if you want to build a foundational company? You Think about your culture, your values. So we, you know, wrote this mission statement, which is to invest in positive, powerful change that endures. And, and again, it's based on uh, the core belief that, The very best investments are the ones uh, that are made in companies that can be around for a long time. And when you're building banks and schools and insurance companies, to my earlier point, you will only be around for a long time if you're the interest of society. And so durability comes from embracing responsibility.
0: And it seems like unintended consequences can be really hard to anticipate. How do you advise founders to identify them and
2: yeah, look, <clears throat> unintended consequences—they're called unintended consequences for a reason. You know, <laughs> you know uh, they don't—we don't anticipate them, we don't plan for them. I think the belief uh, that we have is we can minimize them, and that's the whole point behind intended consequences. If you, you know, think a lot about. Why, first, as founders, you're building a company? What's the core change you want to create in the world? If you think a lot about then translating that into product for your customers, but then also measuring the impact of that product on other stakeholders. If you think a lot about, you know, are you doing, are you making business model choices that are aligned? You know, we have two major industries where we have misaligned business models advertising and healthcare. Who pays and who decides are two different stakeholders, and it's a mess, right? And we're unwinding that in both of these areas. Uh, You know, so business models one, you know, how do you think about your impact on sustainability in the planet? Uh, I think the debate that is there a climate change, I believe is over for good and we now need to figure out what to do about it, hopefully it's over for good. Uh, And so, you know, uh, the point is, if you think about all these questions, if you plan for these questions as much as possible, if you build a team that has the diverse points of views around the table to answer those questions uh, uh, in in an optimal fashion, you will minimize unintended consequences.
1: And if I could maybe ask sort of, you know, to to follow up on that thread a bit, you know, we invested village in the earliest stages, pre-seed, seed. seed. Um, How should sort of a entrepreneur or founder think about like some of this at the earliest stages? And how does one think about frameworks to use, you know,
2: for this? um... Yeah. So look, I think think, um, when you start operationalizing a lot of what I'm saying, so it's not just motherhood and apple pie, it becomes really hard, right? Because now it becomes the trade-offs between short-term and long-term decisions. And what I would say is you really do have to think through the overall change you're trying to create uh, in the world and and, um, thinking through, so what are the core values who are the stakeholders. As long as you first and foremost have the right mindset, you have thought through those questions. I mean, I, I wrote a, a paper, I think it was a few years ago, the era of move fast and break things is over, where we try to lay out and say, look, here's some questions to think about. First thing is to think about those questions, right? Then it's about uh, you know building a team that is aligned with that set of values and is going to sort of deconstruct those questions into product development and business model choices and and different, you know, uh, your marketing and messaging and partnerships and so on. And, and then I think in the in in that sort of uh, hazy moment when it's not clear due to the short-term uh decision or the long-term decisions, you do have to reflect back on those values and see if the short term is taking you away from the long term. And that's the hard places where you have to say no, right? Okay. I think this is what separates, to me, great long-term thinking, disciplined entrepreneurs from folks that are looking for hacks. Hmm. Uh, you know, the era of uh, we want to be a hacker entrepreneur because it was just feature engineering and social media optimization is over. Like, we need to be empathetic entrepreneurs. So, like, we have to think about those choices uh, a lot more intentionally. And, hey, Mother, as, as as another follow-up to that, I think you
1: guys have recently launched this responsible innovation lab, you know, with one of our friends, Um can you talk a little bit about that and sort of the, the thinking behind um, that area and some of the work, maybe even that you've done on one of the most recent crises, which is the Russia-Ukraine situation?
2: Uh, we uh, put together Responsible Innovation Lab as a nonprofit. We did it with uh, two good friends, uh, John Ziger, who was the general consulate at Stripe, and Dita Van Lamon, who uh, built international for Stripe and then also co-founded Premier with us uh, at GC. So They're, they're long-term Collaborators and friends. And honestly, the idea has been to create a place where we can all contribute our playbooks of what's worked towards uh, this whole notion of creating intended consequences. You know, uh, we don't have all the answers, neither at GC nor at uh, RIL, but it was important to say let's convene this effort and start creating a growing body that's learning and together uh, in the valley. And uh, you know, we we launched it at the end of the year. We're soon going to be coming out with our charter, which uh, a lot of uh, uh, folks have helped us review and iterate, and and the ideas that create a movement. So that if we can highlight and celebrate the good choices founders have made and the good outcomes that has created uh, for the world, as opposed to only sort of uh, learning from what hasn't worked. Uh, and codifying that into prebooks for the next generation of founders, I think that's that's really, mine. Our goal is uh, paid forward with that that sort of um, you know construction of that body of work.
1: Yeah, I think actionable guidance is amazing for the CEOs and operators and even investors as us.
2: Yeah, I think we need some of that help too in
1: terms of how to think about it. So,
0: can you give us some specific examples of mechanisms that you've seen founders create within companies to kind of make sure that they're moving beyond intention? Yeah. Uh,
2: I mean, I'll give you uh, one live one that, you know, Batik also knows well, you know, a lot of the work that Class Dogeza does in the education space, right. And they, they are essentially organizing parents, teachers, and kids online uh, and all around creating the social fabric for, you know, developing them beyond just their academic uh, learnings. And, you know, there's this whole sort of evolution of our online um, interactions to be a lot more interactive. Some call it metaverse. Others have other words for it. And, and the reality is that we, we and therefore our kids also are spending a lot more time online. And like, well, how should that be done? Right? I mean, what are the uh, sort of core principles with which you would do? That's an example of what you would think about. Another example I'll give you in the healthcare sector where I spend a lot of time, you know, there was this effort created by big companies called Haven with the observation that healthcare is messed up. There's a lot of waste and uh, employers feel like they're not getting great care for the employees so the conclusion they made was why don't we create a narrow network of providers that serves our employees and does it optimally the unintended consequence if that was actually successful would have been uh, like what most folks don't know is a lot of the profit pools for hospitals is their relationship with the employers and then they use those profit pools to then subsidize medicare and medicaid populations So if you took those profit pools away from businesses, or a lot of these are actually nonprofits, that are barely viable, you would literally make them go bankrupt. So how is that a solution that's going to be, in the end, uh, something that can endure? So I think sort of thinking through how do you really uh, take care of all the stakeholders in these important markets is a lot of uh, where those uh, mechanisms have to take hold.
0: One of the topics you've talked a little bit about is unengagement in healthcare. Can you say more about that?
2: Yeah, <laughs> a disengagement was the word that I came up with in a working session. Just when we were building Livongo and we were drawing up, we had this product whiteboarding session and we were talking about, you know, we're going to build this software along with our the service we're building for the consumers with diabetes. And the idea, you know, somebody had proposed that and we got to get people into that app as much as possible. And we were like, well, who wants to think about their diabetes, you know, even once uh, a day? And we need to think about our disengagement principle. So while there's a lot to learn from advances in technology and social media on digital engagement, like from first principles, that's not what you would think about in terms of healthcare. And you actually want to disengage them from there. In fact, in my book on healthcare, the very first sentence is that in an ideal world, there would be no healthcare because everybody would be healthy. That's what people actually want. Yeah. Pratik's pointing that on the screen. And so, you know, that... Uh, mindset and sort of being first principled about what the relationship of consumers and technology should be in every industry uh, uh, is very important. And I think this is actually uh, the reason why I'm a big believer that as technology goes mainstream, we should all indict the word disruption. Mm-hmm. And r- really think about radical collaboration with the stakeholders in these industries and figure out what's what's the ideal experiences we want to create uh, for different segments.
0: And you've co-founded multiple companies, Camure and Lavongo. Take us behind the curtain a little bit. What are the, some of those early discussions like?
2: The creation process, we actually have a, we have a whole fund that's called the Creation Fund because we really try to institutionalize um, this act of company building for a variety of reasons. It's a great business for us, but it also makes us player coaches, gives us empathy for what you know all the founders go through. The start of these are all actually pretty unique. Uh it, 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 it probably always has a couple of criteria. One is, you know, there's a core insight that's nagging at us as to uh, something that isn't naturally happening in the founder community that we aren't just automatically tackling. And there's reasons for that. Sometimes it's because it is so multidisciplinary that the right skills have seven come together. Sometimes it's very capital intense. Uh, you know, sometimes it's just a complex market to navigate and you need the real relationships and ecosystem to power through it. And and if we've convinced ourselves that this is one of those areas where, by being a catalyst (pun intended), we can actually <laughs> make a difference in the in that industry, we will take it on, and we will take it on in partnership with, you know, as I mentioned, Dita was uh, 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 my partner in premier Glenn Tolman uh, when we did LeVon, uh, you know, Paul English and Steve Hafner, when my partner Jill did Kayak, uh, you know, so it was sort of it really is. Kind of bridging these different worlds together, and uh, um, you know, catalyzing these sort of, in our opinion, what end up being interesting category defining companies.
0: And you, as you mentioned, worked a lot in heavily regulated, kind of entrenched industries, right? Healthcare, education, climate. What makes you optimistic these days?
2: You know, I went into these markets. This was uh, particular, probably remember this, sort of early, you know, two thousand tens. Because I was very convinced that you couldn't build interesting businesses on top of the social platforms, that they were just going to extract too much rent. And so I looked for places where I felt like they did not have an unfair advantage. And healthcare, luckily, so messed up, nobody has any unfair advantage. And obviously, then you had defense and IoT and other areas. Um, So that's what took me there. The reason I'm optimistic now is um, because there are a lot of great proof points of companies that are building, that are scaling. You know, We were early investors in, uh, in the in the defense area, Samsara, uh, you know, uh, relativity in the space side. And it's just remarkable uh, what these companies are able to do um, and um, how the, uh, they're largely becoming uh, engineering problems out of necessity or the governments are much more open to saying we need to lean on the commercial sector for innovation. You know, I think the world's changed for a while. In the very early days of tech, it was all innovation came out of the government sector, like BBN and ARPANET, and so on. And then, you know, for a while, it was coming out of uh, you know consumer platforms. and And I just think sort of a lot of the innovation is coming from the creation of these platforms today. And and the government's getting more and more comfortable with leveraging uh, uh, that and sort of relying on these companies versus their traditional models. I think that's big. I also think you know in in sort of the in healthcare, we don't have a choice. We're going bankrupt otherwise. In industrial, you can just build much better cost-effective experiences for those workforces. So it's all gonna happen in the next like 10, 15 years. We're we're lucky to be doing what we do in this, you know, in this era.
1: Hey Mati, you've also spent some time at sort of this intersection of like technology and policy. And so how does sort of this world also play into some of these sectors that you've talked about, like
2: defense and you know, space and others? The core parts of the economy, the core parts of society are truly innovations at the intersection of technology, policy, and capital. And, uh, you know, we lived in the tech industry in this little bubble where none of that mattered to us and nobody, everybody left us alone for a while. Everything we do now touches policy and touches, you know, needs lots and lots of capital because the ideas are so much bigger. And so, you know, my, my belief is that the more... We can bring the regulators along, uh, and the more we can appreciate the spirit of what regulations were there for, they might be outdated, but I think the spirit of why they were created usually has some good in them and then then understanding that implementing that in software and then helping evolve what needs to evolve from a governance perspective from regulatory, it almost has to become our responsibility mm-hmm. right i mean I, I think I think there was a lot of people mocking when Zuckerberg testified in Congress and people didn't know how the, market, the business model worked. It's great. We can mock it uh, that these, the regulators don't understand how tech businesses work, or we can figure out, we can be scared that, boy, we're building regulatory frameworks uh, in our country without actually understanding how uh, tech is you know powering a lot of parts of this economy. We got, we got to fix that. Yeah. We can't say they have to go fix it on there. We have to help. Yeah. And so I think that collaborative mindset is really important uh, in terms of helping evolve policy, uh, you know, uh, uh, while uh, protecting the spirit of the policies that exist. And how does that sort of get even more complicated as, you know, now you're a global
1: firm, right? You have offices in Europe, and in India, sort of you saw Coinbase stuff recently where they just got shut down um, because they didn't apparently talk to the policy folks as closely as they should have. How complex is that going to be for companies now
2: um, as well in your mind? First of all, it's really fun because it's an opportunity to unlearn like, you know, we're doing some work in healthcare in India and I'm like, nothing that I know in the U.S. applies, which means nothing that I know in healthcare applies because all my learning is U.S. based. Yeah. But I do think you have to be first principled as you think about these uh, types of areas in different markets. Uh, it is complex. It, it, it take the case of Livango. you know, there was always a question of, should we go international? And I was always on the other side of that debate because I'm like, why there's 35 million People to impact in the US, you know, that's $35 billion of revenue. And when by the time we sold, it was like six, seven hundred. Maybe i I maybe have the number wrong, but it's a few hundred million in revenue at that time. And so I was like, why why do you want to go there? Let's let's really lean in and finish the job here and we can build a massive business. So I think some of it is in these regulated markets being Sort of rigorous about why and when to take on additional markets is an important question for founders. Mm-hmm. It's always a shiny penny, but it's a lot harder to go do you know these in multiple markets. You know, look at Gusto. I mean, they have endless amount of business to do in the U.S. Should they really go take on another country? You know, I mean, well, some there are many other people building different Gustos in Europe, and I think it's fine. You know, uh, Josh and team have ton, tons to do here. So, so, first thing is that I think I think sort of being focused on like when to do it and why. You know crypto is an interesting place because it it fundamentally denounces sovereignty and regulations right and it's all about saying you're on the the net and look i don't quite know how but it's going to have a place in the technology ecosystem so uh, i'm very curious how that happens like we just we invested in this company coin tracker and these phenomenal founders that are helping do your tax filings in crypto and you know it, Think about uh, somebody like Intuit uh, uh, or whoever does your taxes. Nobody does these. Uh, no global company has been built there. But you might actually build that if, if you sort of leverage the crypto roles to go do that. So I do think there are, it might be a shortcut to build global businesses on top of local regulatory frameworks, but a lot has, to, I mean, that's a, that's a very long-term comment in what I'm saying there.
0: So. Well, and in addition to um, working With regulators on some of this, you are also talking to some of the largest LPs, limited partners and investors and pools of capital in the world. How are they responding to your thesis?
2: They um, really support it. I mean, I I actually had a call this morning with one of our uh, endowment LPs, enduring organization, been around for a few hundred years. And uh, I was having reviewing our charter that I referenced earlier for. Innovation. John and I and, and uh, Raghavan from our team are doing this and, uh, uh, you know, they were proud of us for thinking this way and, and they obviously have a lot of learnings that they want to share to help us sharpen uh, uh, the message, but then also, also think uh, there's going to be a growing movement in the LP community to want to see uh, this industry take on responsibility, um, uh, you know, more seriously in terms of what we do.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, so Ann and I just read <clears throat> MIT's letter that they sent out their management company letter they sent out last month, and they talked a little bit sort of uh, about this or hinted at it. But, you know, one of the areas that people can be critical around is that this is ESG and this is just like another flavor of ESG. And how do we, you know, how do we sort of think about that or how do we sort of debunk that?
2: Yeah, uh, look, I am not a huge fan of ESG, but not for the same reasons as Peter Thiel. Um, I would say, um, I think ESG is a bit of a focus on the outputs. And I just believe it's a little too late, it's well intentioned. And I suppose we need some sort of a measurement framework. So I'm glad we're taking it seriously and learning from it. But in the end, I just think the biggest lever is like, let's build the responsible innovation. And ESG will, the, the, the metrics you want in ESG will just be the output for that. And if you believe You know, as a tech diaspora, we're going to build so much of the economy again in different verticals. Then that's the fastest way to have that impact. Is like, why don't we just like build that into the governance of how we build next generation companies and focus there, versus trying to hold responsible sort of businesses that have are very set in their ways have a lot of inertia. I think that's where gamesmanship and gamification to like hit the scorecards is going to. Happen because some of that is just uh, insurmountable issues that they have. Mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, I, you know, our our energy is very much on, uh, as I said, sort of, you know, embracing responsible innovation across our portfolio, and hopefully in the tech ecosystem, so that we, we as a byproduct, improve, you know, environmental sustainability and governance objectives. Are there things
1: you think LPs could do to help other investors think about this more?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I I listen, we have really smart people in our industry, they all think about it, they can actually probably articulate both sides of the debate. Mm -hmm. I think it's much more, can the LPs uh, lean on them to take it more seriously? Um, Yeah, I I do. I think, I think, as you said, like some, some LPs are starting to do it. And and I think more will as well. It's something that's increasingly going to become what consumers want in the products we sell them and what LPs want in the returns big of them. And, and uh, uh, you know, I do think it's a, it's a growing movement that if you embrace it, can be a source of comparative advantage for your business.
0: And where talent will flow too, right? To these businesses.
2: Exactly right. I was just gonna say that exactly right.
0: One phrase we've heard you talk about is societal design principles versus engineering design principles. Can you unpack that for us?
2: Yeah, look, what's wrong with the statement, move fast and break things is bad. I mean, it, it, it was a great engineering design principle. We should, you know, fix code and iterate fast. That's the way you should write code. But somehow, that became how social engineering was done in some companies. And uh, as I said, as hackers, we started saying, "Move fast and break things," even if on the other side it's somebody's financial health we're managing, or actual health, or you know, uh, their their learning capabilities. And that's not okay. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's okay to do experiments on other humans to see, like, how do you optimize your own business objectives? That's what, That's effectively what uh, that mindset of building companies meant. And, and I just think going away from how we think about MVP, which is all about growth and engagement and traction to what's actually minimum virtuous product in the context of what you're trying to build there. We have to embrace that. I, I think the companies that embrace that are the ones that are winning today, and the and the companies that uh, didn't, frankly, didn't get there. Look at Gusto and Zenefits. Look at you know Airbnb of the past and Airbnb today. The twenty first century company vision that Brian has. I mean, he transformed it. He he started in that era, and like look at what he does today. So, you know, uh, uh, even Facebook has changed their line to move fast and create lasting impact or something like that, right? So, so it's the good news is. In our industry, because data and AI gives us feedback loops so fast, we did lots of damage in 10 years and we're learning, learning from it and hopefully we'll, we'll get on the right track is the way I think about it. Can you try to picture the first internal combustion engine, right? If somebody had told you it's going to electrify and you're going to have you know, uh, transportation redefined, it's going to create climate change. If we knew that in the first 10 years, what we've done differently, maybe it would have been electric cars from the beginning there would be no you know tesla because that was the debate at that time right um and instead we didn't find out for 120 years and then we're setting our ways and we're still you know spent 50 years debating if there's climate change so 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 i think, I think tech has the opportunity not not fall into that kind of a, a, a pattern uh, because we are we, if we're rigorously and data driven we should learn from this and just say okay how are we going to change so that you know we can build more durable companies
0: and is there anything that separates the best company cultures from the average company cultures in this area, or any tips you'd have for founders who are really out to foster this kind of culture?
2: Look, i was as I was saying, like true focus on mission and values, building you know a team that's that brings the right sort of diverse points of views, but embraces those mission and values. like that's where it starts, right? And it's 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 very easy to say now that I think about it because we're you know trying to build ourselves as a platform as well. It's very hard to execute, and you know I admire the founders that uh, that do it. It's it's not easy, you know. <laughs> and uh, it, it, the framework we laid out in intended consequences is meant to be: hey, for every part of company building, here are some things to be thinking about, you know, that tie back to your mission values. And so I think that consistency is uh, really. Uh, important, and the other thing I would say is the best founders are really disciplined. Um, if capital is easy to get, they'll raise it. Doesn't mean they'll change their spending habits. Uh, you know, uh, they care less about what the competitors are doing and more about their own belief system. In these really big markets, you care less about how do I get majority share because you just never will. You focus on like how do I serve my customers uh, to the fullest, and what really is the physics of my business and how fast should I grow? go to I all mean, I think these are all you know uh, being first principled and truly your mission will really set the cadence for uh, how to build a winning company in your category right I mean that's
0: it's a great point because this some of this is aspirational meaning the minute you set a goal in one sense you can be held accountable to it but they're not easy and they're not there's multiple fronts in this right and um it's uh I guess you have to, as a founder, have the courage to set the goals and measure them, even if sometimes you fall short on the way.
1: I I also think that, you know, one of the things that Timot hit on is sort of these founders and who are they? And I think if you look at Gen Z founders, so much of them want to build companies that are much more about doing the right thing, not just building for the sake of building. Um, You know, I think we read some research recently about how concerned Gen Z is about the climate, and if you ask a Gen Xer or a, you know even a millennial, probably not as concerned as a Gen Zer is because they're going to be living with some of these consequences. That maybe-
2: it's interesting you say that. Uh, you know, so Nico, uh, you know, who leads our consumer work here and you know well uh, pretty, he's like all obsessed with Gen Zers. And you know, when we were rolling out responsible innovation internally. You know, one of his uh, feedback was like, "Well, that's that's not really a, a a phrase that the Gen Zers can relate to." So it was sort of unpacked to say, "Well, what do the, the Gen Zers actually care about?" And I think it was exactly what you just said. They are they've care very much about uh, the topics we're talking about right now, including climate and sustainability and sort of diversity. And uh, you know, I'm I'm optimistic that positive change comes as generations sort of see what's not working and then, you know, they hang together and stand for something. And I do think, you know, I have high hopes that this Gen Z community will do it well and frankly will be the one shaping the Web3 crypto world too, which gives me a lot of confidence because I do think that, again, can be weaponized in a, in a uh, multitude of bad ways. After all, today, like greed is the killer app in crypto, you know, when I try to look at what's going on. Uh, and I know that'll change. but. That's where things are, and uh, and I think this generation will hopefully put it on the right path.
1: And how about areas you're excited about? You know, we talked about healthcare, you talked a little bit about defense, etc. But what are sort of the places you're spending some time in, and that you're?
2: Look, I when I look at my investing time, probably all my outbound time is really focused on uh, the healthcare work and how do we create synergies across the great set of companies we're working with to actually. Make a difference versus just having good investments. This sort of and activating this sort of collective synergy is like a big focus for me. Inbound, I'm always looking for great founders in any market. I think you know this. I'm pretty generalist in that regard. You know, I think weaponizing decentralization is super interesting. Uh, weaponizing biology with software is super interesting. Um, I think transformation in the industry markets. My partner Ken cares a lot about workforce transformation. I think that's a huge theme. Uh, that technology is necessitating. Um, and then I think geographically, I'm very interested in India. Uh, I am a big believer that the time has come now and we, we just spent three weeks there as we were talking and it's amazing uh, what's happening there. And I think we'll learn f- much from there and bring it here, just like what happened with China as well. So yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, no shortage of uh, areas to focus on. The key is you know, figure out how to focus. <laughs>
0: Um, is there any topic that you want to hit on that we didn't talk about? Okay, wonderful. Well, Hamant, thank you so much for the time. It was really inspiring. And as a last parting question, what advice would you have for founders who are trying to build responsible businesses?
2: I hope you know, folks uh, see that. What I'm really trying to say is we haven't weaponized responsible innovation enough. Uh, I think if we bring that level of intentionality in company building and play the long game, we will actually end up having more impact, feel a real sense of purpose, uh, and frankly, optimize returns. I mean, I, I, I often get questioned, uh, you get to say this uh, today because you've invested in a lot of successful companies and now you can you know, just be talking about responsible innovation. And that's really not true for me. And I, I, uh, I reflected back on the last 20 years. My first investment was back in Chris Dixon on building a you know, safe search company. Because when you walk in the streets of Harlem, you know, it's dangerous. When you walk uh, on Fifth Avenue, you know, it's not dangerous. On the web, you don't know what's safe, what's not. And we're like, well, let's create a safer web. And, and, uh, you know, my successes uh, and failures all came from that mindset. So I deeply believe it. And I think, uh, as I mentioned earlier, as the era of company building is changing to these bigger, uh, ideas with much greater responsibility, we should call it out. I mean, we should embrace that responsibility and not make uh, it some other somebody else's problem with carnage at the expense of our success. That is the key to enduring. and And, uh, and I hope uh, at least we start to talk more about that as a technology diaspora.
0: Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. is inspiring.
2: Great, right. terrific.